You are listening to a sermon by Dr. Richard Caldwell, produced by Walking in Grace. Walking in Grace is a listener-supported ministry. If you'd like to know how you can help these messages reach more people, visit walkingingrace.org media. If you would please turn to the book of Ephesians, the fourth chapter, Ephesians chapter 4. We are now in our third week of thinking together about the unity of the church. And we're considering this from Ephesians 4, and tonight looking at verses 1 through 6, especially focused on the second verse. So let's read beginning at the first verse of Ephesians 4. We'll read down to verse 6. Therefore I, the prisoner in the Lord, exhort you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 3 again says, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's go to our God together in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for this evening with my brothers and sisters. Thank you for the joy of corporate worship and all the benefits, Lord, that we receive as we have the privilege to give to you our worship. Lord, I pray that you would be at work tonight in the preaching of this sermon, be at work in me and in at work in the hearer, may we know the gracious help of the Spirit of God as we encounter the Word of God. And may the result be the salvation of the lost, if that should please you, Lord, tonight, to save. Or we ask for the salvation of sinners, your mercy upon them. We also pray for the edification and the blessing of your church. And we gather tonight as your church in need of the washing of the water of the Word And so we'll be careful to give you praise and thanks for what you do in the sixth hour. In Jesus' name, amen. How does the local church experience, live out the unity that we already have in Jesus Christ? As we've noted, in John 17, Jesus prayed for us to be one, and His prayers do not go unanswered. All of us are one in Jesus Christ. God has formed us in one body by virtue of salvation in His Son. So we are one in Jesus Christ. But the question still comes to us, how do we experience, how do we live out the joy and the peace of that oneness? This is something that we should greatly desire. This should not be some small issue with us. It should be a matter of focus. It should be a matter of Intentionality, something we aim at, it should be a matter of diligence. Psalm 133 gives voice to the joy that believers have in unity. Psalm 133, verse 1, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, 
For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. I mean, this is what belongs to eternal life. The joy of brothers dwelling together in unity. And as we've already mentioned, that's not just in the church, but wherever believers live together in fellowship, we should long for unity. We should long for unity in our friendships. Those with believers that exist outside the church, we should certainly long for unity in our homes. How do we experience that? We've seen that we pursue unity on a foundation larger than unity. There's something that informs our unity. There's something that fuels our unity. We strive to maintain unity as a part of a larger pursuit, something else that we're striving for. What is that larger pursuit? Well, we find it in verse 1 where we're exhorted to walk worthy of the calling with which we have been called. That is the larger pursuit. That I would live a life that matches God's mercy to me. That I would live a life that is befitting of the salvation that He's granted to me. This is something that Paul himself is an example of. He reminds us who it is that's exhorting us to this. Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, exhort you to walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called. This is a man who's already demonstrating for us what it means to recognize that Christ died for us, that we would no longer live for ourselves, but for Him. This is a man no longer living for himself, but for Christ. He's demonstrated that in the fact that this is being written from the place of Roman imprisonment. Yet his focus is not on himself, nor does he consider his imprisonment to be some sort of accident. He's a prisoner in the Lord. So what is on his mind, even in that prison, is to live a life worthy of his calling. And everyone whom we love, we should want the same thing for. Every person in your life, you should desire their salvation, and then beyond their salvation, you should desire that they would live a life that fits with God's mercy to them. This is what Paul himself is an example of. So this is the larger pursuit. This is the foundation upon which we think about unity. It belongs to a life that's aimed at living in a way that's worthy of God's grace to us in His Son, Jesus Christ. But as soon as you get to verse 2, you discover that it also exists on the foundation of internal graces. There's the recognition of salvation. There is a Godward ambition. And that flows out in attitudes that are necessary to live that life that matches your profession. How do you walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called? Well, verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And where the, all of that exists, then we are being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Paul giving us a list of the kinds of internal attitudes, graces that must be present if we're going to live out this ambition. So the Christian life, as you know, is lived from the inside out. Holy activity is the result of holy attitudes. Now, we began looking at these attitudes last Lord's Day evening. We saw two of them. We talked about the fact that the worthy walk 
or we could also say the life, the, the walk necessary for unity in the church. The worthy walk is a humble walk with all humility. And it is a gentle walk with all humility and gentleness. We talked about how these qualities have a telescoping character to them. The one leads to the next and is necessary for the next. Humility standing as the spring source of all the other attitudes. Without humility, there is no gentleness. But where there is humility, it will express itself in gentleness. And in the same way, this third quality we begin to look at tonight emerges out of the first two. Where there is humility and gentleness, then third, there will be patience. And patience is necessary to live a life worthy of our calling. Patience is required for us to live in unity with each other. There is no unity without humility. There is no unity without gentleness, no lasting unity. There is no unity without patience. So tonight we begin by thinking about this third quality, patience. And there are a few observations I want to share regarding this, this particular attitude. I, I want to sort of zero in on this one for a moment because it informs the next one. What can we say about the patience that Paul is mentioning here? Well, the first thing I would have you note is that this must be a kind of patience that belongs to salvation. If this belongs to the life that befits salvation, if this belongs to a life worthy of our calling, then it must be something explained by our calling that speaks of our calling, that exhibits our calling, which is to say it's nothing natural. It's not something we were born with. It's something that's only possible for us because the Lord has granted us the new birth. You do know there's more than one kind of patience in the world. You do know that there's a natural kind of patience that people can know. In fact, you can find lost people, people who don't know Jesus, that just being around them and watching their personality and watching how they respond to life, you could say they're a patient person. But it's not what Paul is describing here. This is something different. This is something that fits with your profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Think about natural patience for just a moment. How, how can it be that, you, that there are lost people who have some sort of patience about them? Well, many times it's explained by things like this. There's a kind of patience that reflects indifference. He's a really patient guy. No, he just doesn't care. He just doesn't care. He's not going to get fired up about it. He's not going to respond to anything because he doesn't care about it. There's a kind of patience that reflects resignation. He's a very patient person. No, he just doesn't think he can change it. He has resigned himself to this set of circumstances. He has resigned himself to this outcome. What you're seeing in his mild responses is not something holy, not something explained by the Spirit of God, rather something that reflects his, his sense of resignation to that particular circumstance or those circumstances in life. There's a kind of patience that reflects selfishness. Sometimes people appear to be patient because it is easier than responding. To, to not respond is easier for them than to respond. 
Just keep your mouth closed. Just keep doing what you're doing. Because it would cost too much to respond to this situation. So you're not really seeing patience. You're seeing the result of personal calculation. Is this worth it? Or because it's easier to, to, to put up with something than to try to change it, to accept your circumstances, than to change your circumstances. Selfishness. Or, or self-interest. Driving what we call patience. I think there's also a kind of patience that's just reflected just reflecting personality. You know, we're all wired differently, temperamentally. I mean, we all have different temperaments. And, and you know, there, there's people who have personalities that the house could be on fire and they're still moving very calmly and slowly. It's just the way they're, they're wired. None of that is what Paul's talking about. What kind of patience speaks of salvation? I think to explain this, if you would for just a moment, I want you to go to the book of Colossians chapter 1. Because in verses 9 through 12, we have a passage that mentions patience and the context for that mention of patience helps to explain what kind of patience belongs to salvation. Colossians 1 verse 9, I'm going to read this from the English Standard Version. Listen to what it says. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, same sort of thing we're talking about in our verses, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience, with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. And when you take that passage and you begin to tear it apart and look at it closely and think about specifically the issue of patience in the midst of that passage... Let me point out some things that emerge. First of all, the patience that he's talking about is explained by faith. That is to say, it exists in the realm of knowledge. This person is able to be patient because of what they know, because of what they believe. In fact, the particular Greek word translated patience, when you look at how it's used in the New Testament, it is often found in these sorts of contexts where knowledge is being discussed. He says in verse 9 that he prays that they would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God in all, all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And then he says in verse 10, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So filled with the knowledge of God's will, filled with what belongs to spiritual wisdom and understanding, as a result, increasing in the knowledge of God. And then out of that, he says, verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, the strength and power of God being communicated to His people in the context of their learning what is His will, the result being the 
purpose for it all resulting in endurance and patience with joy. The patience that belongs to salvation is informed with truth. And your patience is explained by your knowledge of that truth and your belief in that truth. Someone who's able to endure in the midst of difficult circumstances because they know who controls their circumstances. Someone who's able to respond in the face of conflict in a way that honors Jesus because of what they know from the Word of God about that conflict and what God would expect of them, what would be His will in the midst of that conflict. Someone who's able to go on loving even when they're being treated in a way that is unloving because they understand the love that Christ has given to them and therefore the capacity they have to love in a way that is unlike the world. These are examples of what I'm talking about. This is a patience that exists in faith, that exists in knowledge. A lost man doesn't, he's not responding because of being informed by God and wanting to do God's will, but the believer does respond in a way that reflects he or she is informed by God and wants to do the will of God. So a patience explained by faith. Second, notice the patience that speaks of salvation is explained by God's power. I mean, this is a direct connection that we see there in Colossians 1 when he says that we would be filled with the power of God, verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might. I mean, there's no lack of power on the part of God. So strengthen it in a way that reflects that it's God's power being communicated to us. But to what end? For, he says, all endurance and patience with joy. How do you explain the patience of a believer? Answer, the power of God. God enables us to live our lives with the kind of patience that a lost person is not capable of. Which explains the third thing I'll mention, that is that this is a patience that is sturdy. The patience that speaks of salvation is informed by faith, or it's explained by faith, explained by God's power, and as a result, it is enduring in nature. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. The LSB says, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. Endurance joined at the hip with this kind of patience. Where you find this kind of patience, you, you find that it's enduring in nature. The believer is enduring, steadfast. You ever heard this? I've been patient long enough. I've been patient long enough. Well, that's a natural thing to say. That's something any human being can say. But for the Christian, there's always this additional question. Have you been patient long enough to please God? Are you willing to be patient for as long as would be necessary to please God? Do you want to be patient? for as long as necessary to please God in your situation. And when you understand that this patience is fueled by, sustained by the power of God, and that power is freely available to His people. It's in accordance with His glorious might. 
No lack of power. There's no power outage. When you understand that, now you know you can be patient for as long as it takes to please the Lord in your situation. Which means when we stop short of what would please God in our situation and we throw our hands up and say, I've been patient long enough, you are actually engaging in disobedience at that point. You are sinning because you're unwilling to receive what God offers to you. God never requires something of us, dear ones, that He doesn't supply for what He requires. So if patience is needed to be obedient in your situation, you can be sure God is making freely available to you all the patience needed by His power if you'll believe Him and if you'll act in obedience in your situation. So what kind of patience is this? It's explained by faith. It's explained by God's power. As a result, it is an enduring kind of patience. It goes on for as long as it is required to please God. Fourth, we can say that the patience that speaks of salvation exists with joy and gratefulness. With joy and gratefulness. Verse 11, Colossians 1, "...being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience." Next two words, "...with joy." With joy. "...giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light." Where you find this supernatural kind of patience, you find a life characterized by joy and thanksgiving. In fact, sometimes our patience is fueled by that joy. Nehemiah 8.10 says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so one of the ways that we maintain this patience is by remembering our inheritance along with the other saints and the light that's found in Jesus Christ, the light that's been given to us in Christ. In other words, we reflect on our great salvation, God's mercy to us, and there is the joy necessary to maintain what would please God even when it's difficult, even when it's trying, even when the circumstances seem like they've been long and burdensome that challenge our obedience. There we can maintain patience because the joy of the Lord is our strength. What this means is that Salvation's kind of patience is not stoic resignation. It's not just this person who is defeated, resigned to their circumstances. Oh, well, I guess I'll just keep doing what I'm doing because this is what the Bible says I should do. I mean, that, it's right that we would think in terms of duty. There's nothing wrong with duty. But now are you including in your worldview all of the promises and all of the grace and all the goodness of God that would give you something additional not just duty, but joy and thanksgiving in light of God's goodness to us. It's not a stoic resignation, patience. Certainly not a grumbling resignation. You're not walking in the patience of the Lord if you're grumbling every step of the way. What are you doing in all of your grumbling and complaining? Well, I continue to do the right thing, so it must be what honors God. I don't like it. I'm going to talk about all the things that I find wrong in it every step of the way. You're going to hear about it every day. But I'm being patient in the Lord. Don't be so sure. Don't be so sure. Lost people can continue 
on a right course, I mean a, a formally right course, even with the wrong attitudes. No, where this patience exists, light has broken into the understanding and affection so that I'm being sustained by knowledge. It's a patience known in faith, and God is filling me with His power so that what I'm experiencing goes beyond what is natural to human beings. It is something explained by Him, and it is enduring as a result for as long as I need to walk in this to please God in my circumstances. And there's joy and gratefulness knowing that God is good to you, always good to you, and wise in what it is you're experiencing. It's that kind of patience. Fifth, the patience that speaks of salvation exists in the realm of productivity and growth. Look at verse 10. So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and multiplying in the knowledge of God. Praying for you that you be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. What does that look like? Pleasing Him in all respects. And it's fruitful. Bearing fruit in every good work even as you're growing in the knowledge of God, multiplying in the full knowledge of God, even as you're being strengthened by His power, even as you're demonstrating steadfastness and patience, you're experiencing the fruit-bearing work of the Spirit of God in your life. Godly patience exists in the realm of growth, spiritual growth. To be patient is not to sit around in a state of being spiritually stuck, where you feel stuck and you talk about yourself as if you are stuck, that's not the right perspective. No, rather you say, Lord, you have me in circumstances that serve me like a school and I know you'll strengthen me to stay in the classroom. So let me stay in the classroom. Let me grow as a result of these trying circumstances. Let me let me produce fruit as a result of these trying circumstances. Would you sustain me? Would you grant me the power necessary and the spiritual sight necessary, faith, to be able to thrive in the midst of what would otherwise have me discouraged? Would you produce in me what could not be produced otherwise in this set of circumstances? That's biblical patience. That's salvation's patience. Last thing I'll say about this is that it's the personal work of the Spirit of God. You know this, but this is what belongs to the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. To be filled with the Spirit is to be filled with the fruit of patience. So, how do I walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Well, it's patience, but it's not just any kind of patience. It's a patience that speaks of salvation. Let me just ask you, when you consider your own life, do you see a kind of patience that was not there before the Lord saved you? Do you see a kind of patience that speaks of God's saving work 
in your life. So, so a kind of patience that speaks of regeneration, a kind of patience that speaks of a genuine faith in Christ and in the Word of God. You see a kind of patience that's aiming higher than your own comfort. You want to, you want to be pleasing to Him in all respects. You see a kind of patience that's enduring. I'll, I'll remain under the trial. I'll hang in there and I, until it's over because I want to please Christ to the very end. Do you see a kind of patience that says, I'm here to learn. I'm in school and I don't want to waste the lessons. This is the kind of patience Paul has in mind. Look back, if you would, please, in Ephesians 4. So, it is not just any kind of patience. It's a patience that belongs to salvation. Something else we can say about it, therefore, just logically deducing what we see in the text what this means is, without patience, we're not living like a Christian. If the worthy walk is with patience, then doesn't it follow that a walk without patience is not worthy of our calling? When you live without patience, you're not living in a way worthy of your calling. Let that sink in. That impatience does not fit a redeemed life. There's nothing Christ-honoring about impatience. So it speaks of salvation, and it's the only kind of life that fits with the name Christian. Something else we can see is that without patience, humility and gentleness must be absent. My, my claims to be walking in humility and walking in gentleness go out the window. They're empty claims if I don't have patience. Because these qualities go together. See, sometimes we want to imagine that we're characterized by some of these virtues when their traveling companions are painfully missing from our lives. Someone says, I, I would ask you, are you walking in humility? Well, I believe that I am. Well, are you patient? Are you a gentle person? Are you walking in gentleness? Well, I think that I am. Well, are you patient? Because to imagine that you're humble and gentle but impatient is a contradiction. Proud people are impatient people. Or we could even just say it this way, when we are impatient, it's usually due to our pride. We think we deserve better. There's something getting on our nerves. We want everything to change right now. We aren't very gracious toward the weaknesses of others or the failings of others. We don't put ourselves in another person's shoes. We don't even stop to consider why this thing that's happening that's bothering us might be taking place. We don't care about any of that. I just want what I want, and I want it now. Well, who's at the center of that picture? Proud people are impatient people. And where you find impatience, you also find harshness. Harshness, not gentleness. Harshness, and as a result, reactionary evil. Instead of returning a blessing for mistreatment, we return evil for evil. In fact, in this word, patience is the idea of being long-tempered. Long-tempered. Are you someone who has a short fuse? You know, it's amazing to me. There are even professing Christians who, who take a little delight and the idea that you don't mess with them. You might get away with that with other people, not with me. 
as if that's some sort of virtue. No, a life worthy of Christ is a life of humility and gentleness and being long-tempered, patient. Abraham described as patient. Hebrews 6.12, that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. In fact, let me just stop here. We say, now, where is this patience on display? Sometimes it has to do with circumstances that are trying. Sometimes it has to do with waiting for what God has promised to come to pass. Abraham exhibited that. Sometimes you see it used of God in terms of His patience towards sinners with respect to His wrath, withholding His wrath and demonstrating grace instead. Sometimes this word is used to refer to how we react to people. So think about trying circumstances. Think about what seems like to us delays when it comes to what what God has promised. And think about especially the weaknesses, the failures of people and the way people mistreat us, how we respond to that. This is where patience is on display. Noah was patient 120 years before the flood came as he's building an ark. Moses is described as patient in the sense that he was willing to identify himself with God's people while he was looking for the reward, Hebrews 11.25, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Moses, you can have it all now. No, I want to be identified with God's people. Not the passing pleasures of sin. I want to be identified with God's people. Next verse, considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, where he was looking to the reward. That's patience. I'm willing to suffer now because I believe what God has revealed about forever. What God has revealed about eternity. The prophets were patient, James 5.10. An example, brethren, of suffering and patience. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And obviously what James has in mind is the way they suffered. The way they suffered. So the worthy walk, the walk that contributes to the unity of the church, is living our lives with all humility. We take a humble posture with each other. Gentleness. Are we gentle in the way we deal with each other? And then patience. And not just any kind of patience, not a natural kind of patience, but a kind of patience explained by faith, explained by the power of God, a kind of patience that endures. I'll be as patient as I need to be for as long as it takes to please God. A patience that is accompanied by joy and gratefulness. It's not stoicism and it's not grumbling. It's belief that allows you to know joy even when it's hard. It's a kind of patience that exists where there's growth in the Christian life. It recognizes, Lord, I'm in your schoolhouse and I want to stay in the classroom. I want to benefit from my trials. I don't want to waste my sorrows. And every step of the way, it is the Spirit of God Himself who is the teacher. And if you'll submit yourself to the Lordship of Christ and to the truth of the Word of God, you'll walk by the Spirit and it will be the Spirit of God Himself who sustains your patience and makes use of it as you're developed into the image of Jesus. This is what belongs to a life worthy of our calling. This is what 
befits the Christian. And this is what allows us as a church to walk together in unity. I'll just say very quickly, and I'm going to move on to the next thought. This is a great testing point, isn't it, when you have disunity in a church. In other words, is there any relationship here tonight that is struggling? Anybody in the body that you're having trouble with? If you just walked down this list, it would help you make things right. What I'm feeling right now, what I'm thinking, what I've been saying, how I've been responding, is it pride or is it humility? Is it harshness or is it gentleness? Is it reactionary or is it patient? Without patience, we're not living like a believer. Notice the fourth internal grace. The worthy walk is a forbearing walk. With all humility and gentleness, with patience. And then he says this, bearing with one another in love. What fits with your profession to be a Christian? Forbearance. You bear with each other. You see that telescoping effect, don't you? It's just the application of patience. It's patience on the personal level. It's patience applied to a relationship with a person. It is holy tolerance. Are you tolerant in a way that's holy, godly? James 5, 9 says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. And you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Take that as your example as you deal with each other. Stop grumbling against each other, brothers. The forbearing person tolerates other people in a way impossible apart from salvation. Again, this is not something natural. This is something that speaks of our calling. A kind of tolerance that can endure being mistreated. Can you endure that? A kind of tolerance that can endure other people's weaknesses. Can you endure that? And you not only bear up under mistreatment and you bear up under other people's weaknesses and failures, you do it with love. You see that in our text, don't you? He says, bearing with one another in love. It's not just gritting your teeth and saying, okay, I'll put up with them. It's loving them. Loving them. Godly patience, godly forbearance exhibits supernatural love. We want to be a unified church? We've got to love each other. And we've got to love each other intentionally. And we've got to love each other zealously. What does that mean? It means we aim at it. It means we work at it. It means we, we don't give up on it. It means we continue in it. Loving each other. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. It's a challenging text, isn't it? How are you 
How am I at fervently loving other people by graciously covering their wrongs? Love covers a multitude of sins. How am I at graciously absorbing mistreatment? Proverbs 10.12 says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. We don't want to be people who excuse in each other what would destroy each other. To be truly loving as a church, we have to address sin issues. To be truly loving as a church, we have to be faithful with discipline even. But when it comes to things that are not characteristic of a person, when it comes to things that are not scandalous in nature, when it comes to the kind of stumbling that characterizes all of us, the book of James says we all stumble at many points. Oh Lord, if you should mark iniquities, the Bible says, who could stand? When it comes to all of our struggle with sins and weaknesses, we should be someone who believes the best, hopes for the best, and extends grace again and again and again and again in a way that allows us to walk together even when without Jesus it would be impossible or without Christ it would be very difficult on any human level. A supernatural kind of forbearance. Bearing long with each other. If I ask your family members, we all examine ourselves, but we live with people who live with us every day. Maybe this would be a good exercise. Ask the people you live with every day, do you think I'm characterized by patience? Maybe begin at the beginning of the list. Do you think my life is characterized by humility? As a result, do you see gentleness in me? And would you say that I'm patient? And do you see in me a love that suffers long, that is forbearing, that absorbs your weaknesses, and even when we fail each other, that would absorb your mistreatment of me? Do you see me covering offenses? This is the way to a unified church. A redeemed people having one ambition that we would live lives worthy of our calling, pursuing the things that make for peace, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance. Without these things, there's no unity in a church. Without these things, there's no unity in a home. Without these things, there's no unity in any kind of spiritual friendship. And if we're saved, this will matter to us. This will matter to us. Next time we'll come back and look at verse 3 and talk about the priority of maintaining unity. Is it that important? We'll look at that next time. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you that what you call us to, you've supplied for. We have in your Son, we have in this new life that you've given us in Christ everything we need in our Savior, everything we need for life and godliness, what we need to live humble lives, lives full of gentleness and patience and forbearance, you have supplied for us by regenerating us, making us new creations, and you've given us your Spirit. And he teaches us and He empowers us to live these things out. Oh Lord, 
my heart cry, and I trust that of my brothers and sisters, is that you would make me a man who reflects these things as a pattern. As James says, we all stumble in many ways, and it grieves us, Lord, when we're not characterized by these things, but strengthen us to live these things out in a way that so clearly speaks of your grace and mercy to us, in a way that fits with your calling of us. And may that be true of the church as a whole. May this be a church that reflects a supernatural love for each other, that is patient and forbearing and covers a multitude of sins, not in a way that excuses them or leaves people in a destructive path, but in a way that is patient with each other, forbearing toward each other. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.